what I recognized then very early, if you pre present this product, figurine goes on, on this box with a magnet, kind of magic, and then immediately the figurine starts telling you the story, singing the song, telling you the fairy tale, la la la. Uh, I recognize that the it doesn't matter to whom I presented this, from the origin or from um, social status or whatever, from, I don't know, Argentina, Uganda, China, Russia, Poland, they've been all smiling, the kids. And This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this latest episode of the Most Awesome Founder podcast, we're in Dusseldorf meeting with Markus Stahl co-founder and co-CEO of Tony's. If you aren't familiar with Tony's, then you probably don't spend much time around kids. Because if you did, you'd know that the Tony's box is one of the coolest ways for children to listen to music and stories. A smart audio system that engages and entertains your little ones without any additional unhealthy screen time. And like most amazing founders that join us on the show, Marcus is also a VHU alum, a 2000 graduate of the Kellogg VHU Executive MBA program. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Markus, thanks for having me in your... Uh in your lovely brand new offices in Dusseldorf. Yeah, welcome, welcome, Gerrit. Well, well, as I told you offline, this is a conversation I've been very much looking forward to having. Um, I've been playing with the, the Tony's box. That sounds a little weird because <laughs> I'm not under 10, but I've been playing with a Tony's box with my niece for uh, long before I knew that uh, the founder had, uh, or one of the founders had such strong connections to Vehu. so. Really glad to be here. Looking forward to hearing how this uh, this journey led you to where you are. Yeah, glad to have you here, and glad to hear that you played with the Tonys already. So it's so all fine. So, <laughs> so um, I start all of the episodes the same way. Um, I think most of the people that are tuning in are most interested in the founders themselves. So maybe you could start things off telling us a little bit about your founder journey and your trajectory. Where'd you come from and kind of how you ended up where you are today? Okay, great. Um, now, today I'm mid-50s so or 55. So, uh, and I found also the company in, I would say, high age, uh, mid-40. Um, my background is um, telecommunication and uh, automotive business. Um, I studied uh, prior to the VAU uh, study uh, telecommunication engineer in Aachen, German University. Uh, and then I was 15 years at Nokia. And then at Nokia, when Nokia get out of its hardware business at a big scale, it was the first time I bit kind of confronted with to being an entrepreneur by myself. So we've done the first uh, management buyout out of Nokia and bought with five people um, the automotive business out of Nokia. Um, and um, so that was my first, I'd say, founding. 
to be very honest, that was 2008, and to be very honest, it was um, I was not paying too much attention on contracts and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a lot of things what I learned which we should not do. It was a good learning, good preparation for the later on stage. Um, then I run this five years actually until 2013, and then um, my friend Patrick, I know from the kindergarten of my own kids, um, so we've been not in the same kindergarten, but our kids, he has two, I have two, and he asked me whether we, we should do some real cool thing, uh, a new audio player for kids, and it was the birth of, of Tony's, and um, and he's a, he's a um, creative guy, a graphic designer, and a creative guy is to kids, and he thought there's no real an appropriate device for kids at young age to play independent by themselves, um, listening to audiobooks and etc. etc. And he remembered me because I'm an engineer and I've done uh, from Great VAU, I've done this MBA and have some knowledge about I don't know, numbers, etc. And he thought it would be the right fit and asked me in uh, it was April 2013. Mm. And uh, yeah, and then the kind of founding got started because I was so flashed and convinced when he presented to me the first mock-up. I mean, it has been this, as you know, the box, it's a box. Um, as designed from uh, yeah, from dads uh, with kids' eyes, so you have ears to control the volume, you clap aside to navigate very soft, not ugly, uh, plastic player, la la la. Mm-hmm. And then he put this for the Germans, Günther Kastenfrosch, on top of the box, a figurine, and then try to show how this could work. And he thought that I have some answers on technology. and. Uh, and I was so flashed about this concept. Mm-hmm. I say, let's let's do it. And then uh, we both quit our jobs. So he, he was at Ogilvy at that time. Uh, I was in my buyout company. Uh, so he was a first year supplier to car industry like Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen, etc. Mm-hmm. And then we quit jobs. And uh, end of 2013, we um, found Tony's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made our first business plans and Excel and um, been quite enthusiastic and we thought one year later we hit the market with a great product for kids but um, it took us three years <laughs> so much longer um, we might come to this later it is a, it's a hardware it's a, it's a hardware product it's not we have also an app mm-hmm. uh, uh, you need to have when you start you need to have an app we have also an app we have a lot of software hardware etc and then we kicked it off in um, yeah 2016 hit, we hit the market in uh, October 16 uh, first in Germany Mm-hmm. And for the first three years, we had just been 12 people, so Patrick and myself, and then, yeah, we are growing and growing. So it was a start. I mean, is, is it more on that, to how this journey continues, or is it uh, yeah. more on the founding? Or Well, I mean, I think we can, we can talk about many, many things I want to unpack from that, uh, that story so far. I have to admit, you are not the first person I've met that met their co-founder in Akita. Really? <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I know I know a couple of quite successful founders that, you know, were bouncing ideas around with another dad waiting to pick up their kids in Akita. And next thing they know, they've been business partners. Yeah, it's uh, Most of them met at, at, at universities or kind of schools, but uh, kindergarten was... <laughs> well, I mean, that, that kind of poses the question that I, I wanted to ask. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were a little bit older as a founder, for one. Um, but the data suggests that successful founders are this age. You know, the the average exited founders in their mid forties. Mid forty, really? Yeah, forty four years old, fifteen years in industry. You know, so you are you are actually 
the, the the mean. Yeah, you're the, all the young guys in the hoodies hacking away in the basement. They're the outliers. I really? So I didn't know that. Yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, but but that begs the question, right? Like I talk with a lot of young aspiring entrepreneurs, and I say, well, hey, there's no better time to do this now. Your opportunity costs are low. You can take risks, and you don't have much to lose. You're a guy that you know spent a big chunk of his career probably making a good salary, working for for big companies. You have kids in in preschool in the kita, and now you decide that you're going to take this big risk, this big leap to be an entrepreneur. Was that an easy decision for you, or was that something that was uh, difficult? Yes, uh, it's a good one. I think it has been finally an easy decision, because at that time, 2013, as I explained, I had some kind of difficulties with my buyout uh, story. I was quite frustrated. Uh, I was always thinking and wishing I would, I could start some, some cool company, but I'm not the person who would like to found because I would love to found because I, I, I think there must be something where you, uh, you see a relevance, where you have a passion, where you really would you love to drive, etc. So, and there's nothing where you could, uh, I don't know, go out or the weekend you get this great idea and that's there. So, and then if this kind of the thing, this product, this idea, this reason for founding a great company has been there, and Patrick demonstrated me this kind of mock up, this proto, and I said, well, pfft, you, I was really on fire, then it, it is quite easy to do the kind of arrangements and to deal with risk and to deal with the families of two kids. Yes, my wife was working and we, of course, we discussed certain things, what could do if it goes wrong or not. So, but uh, it was finally an easy decision, to be very honest, because I was so, so convinced that this has been so much power. This could be so great what we are planning to do or so. And I think there was that was driving me from that decision until today. I mean, this um, sounds a bit easy, but uh, I, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm not the kind of serial entrepreneur who's looking for many, many ideas and from there and here and there. So it was really done by heart. And it was, I think we recognize that this is accessory relevance, which I think is important for founding a kind of product-based uh, business. Mm -hmm. And then you had, Patrick, who ended up becoming your business partner, kind of pitching you this this initial concept. Did you guys know each other well at that point? And what was that process of assessing, hey, I might be spending the next 20 years in bed with this guy. Like, I hope we get along well and we have the right mix of skills. Yes, it's, it's, it's funny. So we, we, we know well or we know okay because we've been um, both working in this kindergarten in the board. I mean, this mm -hmm. one kind of self-organized Kindergarten, where we arranged everything, mm -hmm. financial things, cooking, and and uh, and we both work together. We respect each other, but we have been not real friends. Mm -hmm. uh, today, I think he's one of my best friends. So we've been really. Um, we had a party a few weeks ago, and I, we can't come because of Corona. And I was introducing to the troop my beloved husband is missing here. So <laughs> I mean, he's. Uh, we are really, we are really so close. So we are. Uh, over the time, getting really, really friends. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, when we found not, I mean, he was, he normally tells the story when he was asking me the first time, it took me two weeks to answer, and he was a bit uh, <laughs> angry about it, but it was because of my frustration at my, my previous job. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was a hard time for me, honestly, 2013, mm -hmm. and therefore it took a bit longer, but uh, we, we respect, we know, we, and I think we could be completely different. I mean, he's, um, I'm, yeah, I'm, shaved and nice sweater and he has uh, the cap like you and beard <laughs> and he has long hair that time and flannel hem this kind of thing so 
uh, different music, uh, everything is different, but um, yeah, we, we respect each other so much. And then over the time, we again becoming big friends, but it was not a prerequisite or was not a kind of uh, good or bad mm -hmm. uh, influencer for the decision to, to, to start this. Yeah. So, so he kind of sold you on this initial concept. Now, I guess for the, you, you mentioned it a little bit. I know this box well, it's soft. It's super cool. It's really easy to function. You get to put the cool little characters on top that that uh, kind of tell that tell that story for you. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about this box was in an era where kids are handed iPads, you know, here you go, go entertain yourself. Um, this is a great toy that doesn't have a screen. Did that come into your mind at all when you were first coming across this, when everything is moving towards these, these screens and kids more and more screen time and all the dopamine that, that comes along with this? Here's a toy that requires kids to use imagination and not have to stare at something. Were you thinking of that in, in the design of this product? Yeah, I mean, the design, as I said, I mean, the, the, there was three years where we really start designing this and that. And at the, obviously at the initial phase, we thought it might be good to have a display if you put the figurine on top, that the figurine falls in the display and you could tell a bit about the story. And we thought the display not from a video, uh, so uh, seeing a video, but rather than let the kind of character which is on the box. But then mm. we, we know we clearly said no, it's um, structured listening was, I think, listening at all um, kind of elements which I think has a great relevance and are important. and. It was also the time when I personally, you, you, you get this kind of um, storages with gigabytes of music and films and you're getting released. So, and and I, there was a time when I moved back to uh, LP mm -hmm. to get a bit more structured listening. Mm -hmm. And all these things probably comes together that um, uh, it, it is supporting concentration. I think structured hearing is important for, for younger kids. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and, and, and they say we, we not started to uh, say we're coming with this product without a screen and then we are there to remove all iPads and la-la-la and screens, which is not our uh, initial target. But for a few hours a day, mm -hmm. which is, it seems to have a relevance that people, uh, the kids really, particular kids, younger kids, I mean, uh, we're focusing on, on kids at the age of uh, one and a half year and two years. And they can, by the way, not press a button, but they could... Mm -hmm. Press an ear, and uh, or they can clap to navigate. So this kind of things, and which is helpful for good kids, which is good for kids. And of course, this all all this comes into the design of the the, the, mm -hmm. the box, also that it is soft, that kids could buy it in there. And it's not an ugly plastic thing. And uh, so a lot of elements, yes, come into the box. And, and uh, having a, a product on purpose without a screen has been then finally absolutely the right decision. I think mm -hmm. it's absolutely a good one. Uh, nowadays, of course, if kids getting older. Uh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. Uh, of course, they have iPads and other things, but they are all normally then devices what they need to give back to the to their parents. Whereas this our box that is their system, they can take to bed, to the bathroom, to wherever. Mm -hmm. to it. So they, they only give this back to to the parents. So it's it's um, their device. Right. I'm always interested in products and companies that are focused on children because of how you communicate, how you market, and who you actually reach. Like, you know, you're talking about a technology that is obviously designed for kids, but 
is very attractive to parents, at least parents with a certain ethos for all the reasons we discussed. When you think of your customer, do you have to think of two different customers or do you have one that requires the most attention? Or no, you definitely have uh, two different customers. So the, the, the product is purchased by parents. Mm -hmm. And there I would say in uh, the time when we found we we classify the parents in uh, particular moms and dads. So we have the tech geek, so the, the dad who's been interested in new technology, the kind of things, or families been uh, paying attention to certain values um, and listening, etc. So, and I think you're selling mainly to parents and also to grandparents, meanwhile, I would say. Whereas the usage and uh, the other customer is there are kids. I mean, if you sell it to parents and kids finally don't love the product mm -hmm. or they can't simply work with the product, then it will also fail. So you need to have, you need to address both. It needs to be uh, compelling and convincing story um, to parents. Um, what I think what we achieved, so it's, and I think uh, the secret of the product is actually, uh, it's the form factor and it's the very, the simplicity, how you cloud the product is working. You have the form factor with the figurine, you recognize your favorite character. Dr. Zeus, or in Germany, I don't know, or Griffelo, or whatever, mm -hmm. and you put it on top of the box, and it starts immediately mm -hmm. the audio book. And then, and what helps in Germany is an interesting effect because the, the, the audio audio market is currently, I think, booming around the globe. But the podcast and other things. But at the time when we found the company was in Germany, uh, very specific is, has a long tradition on audio books and audio plays. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents where we try to sell the product to being kind of remembered on their childhood with the characters we came up with. So we came up with characters, but they also 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. uh, very traditional German characters mm -hmm. when they had their childhood and therefore it was an mm -hmm. easy sell when they see probably, oh, this is the mouse or this mm -hmm. is Benjamin or this is uh, Janosch, mm -hmm. uh, very German uh, traditional characters. And, and it was an easy sell because yeah. they, that worked for them and had good feelings about these characters. And, 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 and then I said, well, this is probably something very good for, for my own kids. Interesting. I, I didn't even think of that nostalgic part, but when you said that, it reminded me of being a child and listening to LPs of Asterix and Obelix. And that's how I learned some of my first German words was listening to this. So it really, it, it really connected with the parents' childhood a little bit as well. And it was almost something that they were able to share an experience they had as, ch as children with the next generation. It's the, yeah. the, for the German, the Sendung with the Maus, or it's mm -hmm. uh, Janosch, or yeah. even Conny Benjamin, so they are, they are or Rabesocke. Mm -hmm. So there are very long time existing German characters, mm -hmm. which um, probably are very good for, for, for kids and listening to them. So I was listening, my kids listening. So, yeah. and this is how we designed the first portfolio. It was not strategic and saying, well, we need to have Disney or this and that. So we said, yeah. well, we take those we had in our own childhood, and, and that's why we, as an inside, we would love to have these Poislites, Hudson Plots, and Kleine Hexens, and this is very German characters, but this is very, very, um, yeah, nice German stories, and we said we would like to have those on our box. Mm -hmm. uh, this time we, we didn't know that those those uh, companies normally don't give uh, the license for figurines, mm -hmm. so from Hudson Plots, for instance, there's nothing existing, just only the book, and a DVD and a, and, a, and a video, but nothing else. And, and we were the first convincing the, the, the family that, that we been, could do a figurine. So, but mainly driven on, on our own, remembering our own childhood and say, well, this seems to be also good for mm -hmm. 
the kids getting our product. And then later on, it came the, they came the big brands and big license partners. So once again, the, the complexity of building a business like this fascinates me, right? Because you, you've not only had to build hardware and build the box, you had to build the software to enable it. And then you also had to license content from all these different partners. And if I understand correctly, now you're even licensing from, from Disney, right? So these are... That is an expensive and time-consuming process, right? Like, did you did you raise capital right off the bat? Did you bootstrap this? Like, I imagine just to get to market with the first product required a lot of effort and potentially a lot of cash too. Man, there's a, there are there are many questions, but it, it, indeed, I think it is looking back. It is it, it has been it's a quite complex thing. So, uh, hardware, software, as you said, and license business, and, and kind of what kind of um, helped us a bit was uh, Patrick and myself was quite naive as we have been not in that kind of industry. So we ne none of us has been dealing with licenses. So none of us have, has developed a kids product. None of us has been done sales into bookstores or toy stores. And uh, it was helping us a lot because we say, well, let's, let's do it. Let's try it. And this, um, so, but it is quite complex and it requires a lot of capital. That is true. So we, uh, in the first three years from the from the founding until we hit in 16 the market we uh, run through four capital rounds and raised 10 million euro uh, equity and so the first initial capital was um, 600,000 euro uh, this is what we have we start uh, at, um, 2000, end of 2013 when we found the company and it was mainly going into technology mm -hmm. and as I said when when I found that high age was helping me that the first investigations on what kind of technology we are using. It's with Wi-Fi and NFC and da da da. We have done this first research on the on the um, institute where I've done my diploma thesis. Uh, yeah, and um, they 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 worked on concepts, etc. So this it's kind of network thinking. I, I know those guys, but honestly, the first money goes into um, technology so, and software and testing. And, and the reason also why we postponed the launch was compatibility because it is needs to be compatible to VLAN Wi-Fi routers, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of testing certification because of the product for kids, so huge quality mm -hmm. uh, levels, etc. So, and, and yes, you're right. I mean, this, this requires a lot of money. It's a very capital intense um, founding, I would say. Mm -hmm. So 10 million raised, but then we had a great 100% perfect functional product, uh, which allows you to do software over the air updates, which makes it very easy when the product is in the field and with customers, if something happened, you could do software update with the So it's then, it has been finally, I think, a great design. It has been extremely reliable and robust, and uh, so it was worth it. But, but again, yes, it requires more capital and other foundings. Right. So you've got this relatively complex business. When you look at it on the outside, it looks like a very simple product. I think if you look at it from an entrepreneur's perspective, you go, well, there's a lot of, lot of moving parts here. Here are two founders. They spent three years developing this thing, raised some capital behind it. Now you're taking this product to market. Did you have a, a unique go-to-market strategy for this? Did you have a way of saying, you know, the, the, I, I'm sorry, like, I don't mean to box you in with toys. I know you're an elegant piece of technology, but in the kind of children's toy space, it's very busy. There's constantly new products coming in and coming out. How did you find a way to 
to stand out and get that early traction that, that propelled you forward? I think, as I said uh, a minute ago, that we, that Patrick and myself didn't know many things of this kind of product design and, and licensing, but also how to sell it to a toy. Mm-hmm. And this is what we then did at this stage, but also doing still today. If we recognize that we a certain element don't know, or, uh, we then simply ask and somebody who could help and do. And that's how we, for instance, come into um, toy sales. We then uh, hired one of the first people, uh, somebody who's been experienced in marketing and sales into toy industry. We had then, uh, it's also an advantage when you uh, found at high age, I would say, but it's normal, as you said, but anyway, <laughs> uh, then we you know a lot of person and we, one of our sh- first shareholders has been uh, the family crowd who've been producing the, the figurines, been 20, 30 years into the toy industry, knowing a lot of toy channels, large organizations in Germany, Sophie, this group, Ideonspiel, etc. So there were large organizations having a lot of toy ch- sales channel. So, and through this kind of, they've been uh, part of our first uh, shareholder base. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had also another shareholder is Oettinger, is a publisher in Hamburg for kids books, uh, um, family Weidendorf. So they, they helped us also in marketing, content, so on. So I think what we have done then is without knowing this in detail and how to do, we, we always then uh, based on family and friends or mm-hmm. we then called in person helping us uh, uh, um, realizing this kind of sales. And, this. and then we were, we were quite early in, um, in, in large toy organizations and we were quite early in uh, uh, more on, on, on a private contact I had in uh, Media Markt Saturn, uh, which was a large chain in Germany. Yeah. Um, and then, if you are if you are in, in this kind of chain in Media Markt Saturn, in, 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 and then we were very early also in, in um, Thalia, is another uh, the books chain. Mm-hmm. We have then a big big chain in toy, in in, in book, in electronic, mm-hmm. and then uh, you have a lot of marketing and sales power mm-hmm. and then of course others seems to see this as well if they are listed there it seems to be really the next cool mm-hmm. thing the next big innovation and let's let's do it all also yeah I was actually in in Saturn over the weekend in, in in Berlin and you have pretty much a whole wall on one of the floors it's you come up to the second floor and the first thing you see is the red and red and white of of Tony's so they not only carry you but they put it front and center which is another piece that I'm really interested in because when you go into retail you have to have pretty pretty decent margins to be able to, to deal with that type of distribution. When you were designing and building this thing, was that your intention from the get-go or were you thinking direct-to-consumer? You know, a lot of startups will say, hey, we'll go to direct-to-consumer first until we can get the economies of scale and get our margins down, margins up so we can we can go retail. Yeah, I think it's a good question because you need to remember now everybody like you and others know the Tonys, mm-hmm. but at that time when we started, it was a completely new system and a completely new concept. And I think the, you need to have a chance to practice this product. If, if I don't know, six years ago, I, somebody asked what you're doing, I tried to explain, well, there's a kind of cube and there's a figure mm-hmm. into And I, I, by myself, get crazy. But if you have a chance to demonstrate this, just take it in your hand and practice it, it was mm-hmm. very easy. And this kind of same logic, I think you need to have at, at how you sell the product. So it... This all product requires retail. Mm-hmm. And that's why we are still today having probably 80% in DAG is retail. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then we have 20% is so e-commerce through 
uh, our own shop, etc. So yeah, margins are better, but our business model just only is important is razor razor blade model. So we're trying to get those boxes into kids' rooms, um, and some channels we we earn a bit, some not, and uh, but we earn the money through the figurines. Yeah. On average, of the last four and a half years. Mm. An average customer buys 20 figurines, which mm. is a, it's an extremely good business. And so more or less the box goes out there for nothing yeah. and then the margin and money comes from uh -huh. figurines. That's, therefore, it's important at the beginning on sales that you have um, kind of uh, large um, sales base to large key accounts, to independent dealers. So we have meanwhile in, in DAG uh, more than 6,000 retail points, we wholesalers where we sell the product globally more than 10,000, so it's, it's a huge retail base. Uh, and if then, in like in, in Dach nowadays, everybody knows the product, and, and I mean, we, I think we, we find in kids' space no CDs really anymore, so you see the Tonys. Um, then, of course, you, uh, uh, people and customers also going more online and looking for the product because they know the product, where it's a bit different in other countries. But then, for instance, in the US, um, there is this kind of, uh, online sales e-commerce is much more advanced than it has been in Germany. So mm -hmm. in the US, for instance, toy, you need there's Walmart, Amazon, uh, mm -hmm. and a Target. Yeah. And, and you need to be in this kind of environment if you would like to have a chance in the US. And US customers tend to go more on, 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 on online and therefore brands, meaning like a Disney, you mentioned this, or, or other big brands from Sony Universal, has probably other relevance than it has been in Germany. So what I'm trying to say, market also bringing this product globally to other markets could be different. So France is different than UK, is different than US, and it's different to Germany. Well, that was a perfect segue to the next question because you're now you've now entered other markets over the the past few years. Was there a strategic point or a tipping point that said, "All right, let's take the chance and go to English-speaking market, UK, or even?" Even bigger, going across the Atlantic to the U.S. What, uh, what were there any catalysts that made you say, "All right, now the time is right to do this"? Yes. Um, initially, we, my, as I said, we, 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 um, the intention was to have a great product for our own kids mm -hmm. in Düsseldorf, and then for in Germany, and then in 2017, it has been going through the roof. The success. So we've been. We have so many uh, sold out, and, and, and it was such a kind of run on this product. It was uh, really incredible. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we've been, I think you know, this kind of their kind of famous exhibitions like uh, the Toy Fair in, in Nuremberg, which is the largest, I think, in, in the world. And then we have a, a book fair in Frankfurt. And we're presenting, obviously, in our first year, 16, 17, the product there. And there's a lot of international business coming on. And what I recognized then very early, if you pre present this product, figurine goes on on this box with a magnet kind of magic and then immediately the figurine starts telling you the story singing you the song telling you the fairy tale la 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 uh, i recognize that the it, it doesn't matter to whom i presented this from the origin or from um, social status or whatever from i don't know argentina uganda china russia poland they've been all smiling the kids and i said well i think that uh, kids are really the same. They're all the same around the globe, so just parents been going different, but the mm -hmm. kids are the same. So, and I think that was a, that was a kind of tipping, I would say, well, 
the the characters and the content seems to be must be different in, in, in the country. So we in 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 UK you need to have Gruffalo, as you said in France in Asterix, and in the US you have Dr. Zeus and others, and you, in, uh, you need in Poland this and in China that. Mm -hmm. So um, so this is the only thing what we need to reckon. But this was a kind of thinking, and well, it has a great success in German-speaking countries, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and then we said, well, it must be the possibility that that this. Um, all kids around in, in, in the whole world who love this product. Mm -hmm. and, and then we decided to go to UK. Uh, and then was was also good learning because we have done so many mistakes entering this market as we um, we came with the same communication, two dads and scratched CDs. Nobody's interested in the UK because there has been no CDs at all. And <laughs> who was interested in two dads from Düsseldorf? Nobody. And we and and we changed the communication there. We we had a different team. We we thought we could initially do this with partners, which is wrong. So we currently, in our current setup, we have 100% on people. So we have a general manager in the country. They're hiring the people. We're doing the localization. We're doing the marketing. We're doing everything then locally because there's so much love and depth in this product in, in every country. So, But UK was a great learning for us, not only from language, but also from a setup. So kind of establish a blueprint how we could do then uh, the launch in other countries. and. If you see that uh, how this was working extremely well, we then, yeah, we then um, uh, said let's go to the U.S. Um, and but the, uh, the U.S. was another play because U.S. is such a great and large country. We thought that we don't have the right um, shareholder backbone at that time. So very uh, with all the respect, and they know it. They're German focused entrepreneurs and shareholders, and they said, well, I have no how to bring such product to the US so we and that's uh, there was a time 19 where we changed the shareholder base to an um, yeah PE based Munich company was uh, stakes into US and other countries and with this with this help we brought in the product to the US and then then France and I, I want to ask you about that financing in a second but I, I'm I'm interested in you know in a world where there's you know when I was growing up toys were I don't know, nicer. <laughs> and now, you know, there's just massive influx of cheap quality stuff coming from China and other, other parts of the world. Um, does quality German engineering matter? Like, is that part, when you were moving into these markets, did that help you as a brand in terms of credibility and, and quality? It's a good, it's a really good one. I think it was. It's definitely not what is kind of um, you know. It's a minus point. Uh, mm -hmm. If it is so um, so strong as you might think of, I would question. Mm -hmm. I think um, it is a combination of. Um, it is. I think again, was I'm repeating myself. It is. A, it's a form factor and the easy use of the product, which yeah. is the convincing one. And if you, if a, child in the U.S. and you put there, you know, Dr. Zeus on the box and, and, or Peppa Pig and explains your order. This is, I think, the magic on it. And, if this, and then, then the perhaps comes German engineering that this product is also working if it falls down 100 times from the table or it, it is really very robust and, and, and it is always working if you put the finger on it. Then yes. And it is probably a great add-on. If mm -hmm. Is it the one of the top 10 sales arguments? Probably not, yeah, right. I would say. Uh, to be, in my, I, I think so. But Germany kind of has a history of, of toy makers, right? Like of kids, yes. like some of the great, the great brands throughout history have, have come from Germany. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, if you look in Germany, you have Franz Ravensburger, this is like Playmobil. Playmobil. Yeah. It's, it's 
fantastic mm-hmm. companies, yeah, and they've done great, great things. And yeah, I think it is some, somehow it is an element. So I would not mm-hmm. say there's nothing, but I would not put this on the on the very. But I think if you do a product for kids, you need to have the aspiration to do a top, 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 top quality product yeah. at all. And then if you have it with new technology, when you have a Wi-Fi, you have Bluetooth, you have a connectivity, you have loudspeakers. So even more, you need to have. So, well, right, right. So I do want to bring it back to what you you said earlier because I think it's interesting. So you kind of changed your your structure a little bit, raised larger funds uh, in preparation for for entering the the U.S. market. Um, I understand that you used a pretty. Uh, I guess more common model, but one that that gets a lot of press these days, and that you guys did a SPAC. Can you talk a little bit about that process and why you decided to to take that approach? Yeah, I think uh, a few sentences before come to SPAC was the well. We always um, we recognized at one point in time, as I said, this has been a, now a chance to be really a global multi-billion-dollar business. To be honest, because you could really make all the kids around the globe happy with this kind of platform. And what is and when you say, well, that's true, and the other thing you need to ask yourself how you could financing this and how you could finance all this growth because we are we are extremely growing company. So um, we are coming from first year 17 million euro in 2017, and last year made on at 88 million euros. So it's, it's a really strong yeah. growth track actually. And, uh, it is hardware, it's a box, we're producing around the globe and, 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 and it requires a lot of kind of thinking on working capital and, and, and marketing now in other countries. So there's a huge capital need that's a, uh, to grow this business. And at one point in time, like we see in Dach, Dach is uh, strongly profitable, so all good. Um, but therefore, we've always been thinking of how we then continuously finance the company. And um, therefore, we decide at one point in time to change the shareholder base to a more private equity company. And then we see, well, well, we not only in UK and Germany, but we also started to be extremely successful in the US. We say, well, if to keep this growth in order to in the news is, as you know, it's, it's, it's a large, it's a very large country. In order to promote the thing there, to market uh, the product there, uh, all this requires more money. And then we thought, what could we do in order to capitalize the company? Do we the traditional capital round? Do we, uh, I don't know, traditional IPO? And then uh, it, we've been, I've been, or we've been, uh, get to know about this spec, mm-hmm. uh, special purpose acquisition company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, naturally, I explained a bit more is uh, uh, speed mm-hmm. uh, and uh, fast capitalization of the company has been uh, the main reason why we've done this. And the third element I explained is uh, trust because we, I know the spec owner. Uh, first spec is um, a kind of shell, if you like. So there's been uh, spec is I think very uh, known in the US, not so much known in, in Europe. Uh, particularly in Germany, I think there's been only a few around doing SPAC. Mm. Uh, but what it is in Nigeria, there's, there's kind of SPAC owners, uh, if there are trustworthy people, they say, well, please investors, give me the money. I build a kind of shell and give me some money. Give it to me and trust me, I will find a company which I bring to uh, public market mm-hmm. in one or one or two years, uh, and, and it will be great for you. Please trust me. So this is, and, and this is what... Um, we know Alexander Kutlich, who is the owner of our SPAC. He has been uh, in our board for two years um, uh, as, as a chairman. 
he knows us as a company. We, uh, he's an extremely great guy, trustful person. Mm -hmm. He came up with the spec idea, and he has established the spec already, and uh, and it has been already listed. So spec mm -hmm. is uh, uh, if you convince those investors, and at that time there were three hundred million euro in this spec. Mm -hmm. When they found this spec, four six eight spec is the name. Uh, you could really buy shares to get a value of ten euro, and uh, investors giving that the money, and then one. Two years later, whatever time they come up with a with a with a target, saying, "Yeah, we're going and bring Tonys mm -hmm. um, uh, to the to the public market," and uh, and we've again we've done this because um, the spec process is very fast. So typical IPO probably takes you two years. Spec could be done in six to eight months. Uh, so very fast. Mm -hmm. The downside is spec is expensive. So there's a lawyers, spec owners, and uh, etc. So they. Um, getting for all these kind of process more money than you have normally to pay in a, in a traditional um, uh, IPO. Uh, but for us, as, as, as a fast-growing company, it was the best uh, vehicle tool to, to go public and to we capitalize the, the company. Speed. The I need to speak because we are, we, are, we, are, we are growing so fast. I mean, uh, we are currently growing 40% year-on-year. I mean, this is uh, tremendous, I would say. Again, with the hardware-based product for kids mm -hmm. on a global scale and base, so it's, it's, um, it's probably different than, than other, other uh, projects. And so speed was important for us. And then, I mean, I'm talking now about spec as a kind of, no, uh, knowing spec two years ago, I don't know about spec at all. And I said, well, going public market, oh, I don't know whether it's the right decision. But if you think in an interest of this company and what we've built here and what we have ahead of us in, in, in growing this, this business to many, many other countries and and also bringing new innovations. I mean, this product is, a, is we have established a connected platform for kids uh, coming from Tonys, but there's a form factor as this box and, and the figurines, but you could also think on new innovations, uh, other form factors, mm -hmm. got it for elderly people, other countries, other products. So, and, and realizing all these kind of things, which is in our folders, mm -hmm. It's, it's speed for internationalization, but it's also money investments for new innovations to grow. And therefore, we, I think spec is the right thing. But then, of course, as you do also in your private life and in the business life, you do this um, better people you know and trust. And that has been a given fact with the, the three spec founders, uh, Florian, uh, Flo, uh, Ludwig and, and uh, Xani Kutlich. We know those three guys and we say, well, this is a perfect fit. Let's do it. Sounds like a, another reason why being a, a little bit more mature of a founder can can pay off for you, as you have these these relationships of trust that you can tap into. Yeah, I think yeah. it's it, is important. I mean, this um, it starts you also when you found a company. I mean, you you start also talking about your business with your trusted people, and and, and then it continues until the later stage. Doing this kind of big move, going public, uh, also with a lot of known, and also our uh, this time yeah, main shareholder, Mira from Munich. Um, and, and, and uh, besides Patrick and myself, so we are the shareholders, they've been, we know all each other and uh, we trust each other and we feel good with this kind of uh, move. So a lot of companies, you know, I, let me rephrase that, a lot of founders have kind of a lifespan in a company. There are some founders, and I would put myself in this category, I'm really good from zero to one, mm -hmm. you know, but when it comes to scaling up, there's probably someone better than me, and usually I'm more than happy to relinquish that control to put someone in to do that. In the exploration side is where I'm in my happy place. Now, you have seen this company now for 
almost a decade you're, you're coming close to. There's a pretty big jump when you go from building a, a startup or a, a mid-sized business to being the CEO of a publicly traded company. Um, there's a lot more regulation, accountability, transparency, all of these types of things. Maybe you can share a little bit how your role and how your career has changed since post-SPAC, post-public listing. Does, does your day-to-day -day work life seem different than it did before? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Is it uh, less exciting? No. I think, uh, I think it has changed. As you rightly said, public, being a public, public company uh, forces you in a positive way. Also, by the way, the company. I mean, we've been increasing our capacity in finance, in legal, in process, in structure. And I think it's a good one, to be very honest. Same with quality systems, by the way. So you, there are some elements which seems to be the first view I don't know, uh, complex, complicated, and but I think it's good for a company, to, mm. to be very honest. And and uh, for us as a founder, there's a lot of excitement in there. So um, I'm what a chance. Uh, it's my first founding and will be my last one. So I will not found another one. So it's, it's my first and my last one. And being then part of, uh, from an initial idea, doing a product for your own kids and then being a public company and selling the product not here in Düsseldorf, also in Alaska, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 there's nothing better, I would mm -hmm. say. So, um, I, and, and of course, you have some different stages. And I would say that the first three years uh, when you found the company until going public was the, 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 the best one, I would say. It was really great years, to be honest, to be in a small team and fast. Mm -hmm. And that time, I always had put the phrase to Patrick and say, well, Paul, if you want to have a, a car policy in Orkshad, I will leave. <laughs> because, I mean, because car policy is for mm -hmm. a lot of pros and such, and the right. Orkshad is a lot of silos. But obviously, you, you need, and you, you, you're going then, and you also, we grow also with this kind of company and, um, and the growth and the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And you see, you're doing, make now kids happy in not only Düsseldorf but also in Alaska or in the US yeah. and it's it's uh, quite rewarding mm -hmm. particularly this product we are receiving today the same videos letters things from comments from from really full of love from from families in the US what we had in, in Germany so it's I need to say that uh, it's probably different to many other products that this product is of course quite rewarding because it is done for the best yeah. customer kids and families so um, and it is yeah it is and then if you say well to continue this, you need to go public and you need to be more careful on what you present and say about numbers mm -hmm. and you have a compliance manager. Well, fine, it's okay. So, and I think it's, it's, it's a great process and um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's still exciting, I would, I would say, from different end. Uh, we've been now more yeah, close to 400 people, different locations. I mean, it's very international, so and there's always coming uh, every year coming some kind of new things mm -hmm. entering the market, looking at new innovations. Uh, so we have established so called Tony Lab, who's looking for for new kind of product ideas around our uh, things what we are already doing. So and as long as this is still happening, so that you there's always new, there's something exciting, there's not getting some kind of too mature and uh, mm -hmm. every time this every day the same. As long as that is happening, so. Well, you're such an interesting case because I think if you look at, if you look at the textbooks, right, you kind of broke a lot of rules, right? A lot of the the traditional rules, like don't be hardware software combo. It's too difficult. Don't get into licensing. It's it's too expensive. Um, 
you know, even in the case like you don't build a company with one product, you know. Um, but here you are, you had one core product, and and you've gone from from idea to IPO essentially with this with this product and all the different figurines. Is there is there anything that you can share about the future and what might come next? Do you envision new products, new technologies, new hardwares, new markets, um, aside from geographical expansion? Yeah, I'm, I, first of all, I think it is, I, I would kind of um, disagree with one product because we have the phrase, we are Netflix of the nursery a bit. So we have, mm. we have created really, I would rather say a tech platform, platform. and we should in your brain, so to say, not mm. limited to the form factor, what you see today, mm. From the figurine, from the tonies, and not from the from the box. Mm -hmm. So how all this function is because we have this kind of strong tech backbone, and we have this is working. If you put this in another form factor, you do the figurine out of wood, other material, mm -hmm. or you put this box into a, a table or whatever, it's still the same. or you do a yeah. podcast tony, or radio tony, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the the logic and taking mm -hmm. this form factor, whatever mm -hmm. it is, and putting it at something and immediately something starts playing, mm -hmm. audio, video, whatever it is, uh, gives you a lot of opportunities in different areas, mm -hmm. so I would say. So I will. I, I can't disclose any new products. Sure. There will come uh, new products which are mm -hmm. fitting into this platform, fitting into this space. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, we had, for instance, we have uh, now scaled up our accessory business. We from 14 Tonys we launched in Germany, we have now 600 different characters. Wow. Uh, we expand, as you said, international. Uh, we have now the possibility to have also digital content being published to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to our system. We have 3.7 million connected boxes into kids' rooms. So it's connected, had a loudspeaker, had a gyro, had other equipment. So, and you could imagine with this, this tech platform, we could do a lot of more things than that we see today. Right. So, Disagree that is a one product. It's yeah. much more. Sure. What it is actually is, is we. I need to talk to you in a year. Yeah. <laughs> remains remains to be seen. Yeah. 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 I guess when you take this ecosystem approach and the way you've designed the technology too, there's so many different connectivity points that it seems like you can do with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, well why not? I mean, if I said you have a, you're connected to the internet. Yeah. You have a cloud-based system which could connect to all the data. You have a loudspeaker and charging and you. Why not connect into game space, for mm -hmm. instance? Uh, because already in kids' rooms and mm -hmm. kids listening to music, they tend to play. We have been now corporations for, for Steif or Playmobil, we have done an adapter, Steif mm -hmm. uh, having a plush animal. So you, we can say Tonify, you could let other relevant players who been interested in the family space mm -hmm. on our ecosystem or on our platform. So, I mean, this is, uh, I think this is unlimited. Right. Uh, we should. Be careful ourselves that we uh, do one step after the other and uh, grow not too fast mm -hmm. because then it's also the if you don't keep focus you might risk right. to fail. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I mean, that's, the thing that I found found so interesting is that you know you your company, your brand, and your products enter a person's life at a very young age, mm -hmm. right? And that means there is a potential lifetime value that is probably larger than most any other thing in the world, right? And you see it with some companies like Lego and whatnot that are now starting to market to older and older demographics and add more complexity as well. I mean, feasibly, it seems like Tony's could ride 
ride farther into someone's life than just 10 years old, right? Could potentially... Yeah, I'm, I'm, happy that, I'm, happy, I'm really happy that you're saying that because I completely agree. Mm -hmm. And Malay was a great example because I, I bought my... my, my 20 years old daughter and 15 years old boy, we bought some from Lego now to build from Harry Potter or from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. They're quite complex things. Um, mm -hmm. You need to be 16 or 18 in order to build it and construct it. And, and the issue is here, this, I don't know, the same, but we try to, um, that if, it, if it, one, two, three years old kid been entering the Tony universal system and, and, and grows up with the, the Tony box and the characters, it's of course easier to keep them in the system if you try to give this a seven, eight-ish uh, uh, boy or girl mm -hmm. and convince them this is a great product because it has been this kid has been probably got some other device. But I think it has um, simply through content uh, the possibility to that um, kids keep longer in the system. Mm -hmm. And if you, I don't know, if you would have today a cheer and Tony or a pop star or a, or a sports mm -hmm. person or la 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 la, right. uh, I think you would keep those kids longer in the system mm -hmm. at the same volume like with three, four, five, six, probably not, but I think enough. Right. Yeah. right. Well, I was just reading the other day about, uh, about Lego and how those movies really re rebooted that company in a big way, how their new CEO. And license as well. I mean, you might like that. having license with the, with the big, uh, Disney brands, etc. I think mm -hmm. uh, also another great, great example, great company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Man, I have so many questions I want to ask you, <laughs> but this podcast would take hours, and I know you're a busy guy, so um, three parts. <laughs> right, we'll have to come back for for part two sometime. But I, we always wrap up the episodes with three kind of core questions that I ask everybody. And uh, the first one I'm really looking forward to asking you because, um, you know, you've, you've been in the game for a while now um, and you've had some interesting turns in your, in your career trajectory. So what, you know, as we have many young people listening to this that are aspiring entrepreneurs or just beginning their entrepreneurial journey, what have you learned over this past decade plus um, do you have any wisdom that you would impart to the next generation from maybe from your successes or your failures that you would you would share? Mm. Okay, a few things. I mean, uh, hopefully not do the same as ever, everybody said, but I think you, what I, you have this example a few minutes ago that when you found a company, you have probably more people saying you why this is not going to work rather than supporting you. So there's a lot of buts also in our case. So this will not work because of the price. This will not work because of technology. La, 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 la. Don't care about those things. Um, the other thing is don't do everything by yourself. There are so many people who have done and failed in many instances. So in our case, sales, production, la, la, la. So if you would like to invent everything by yourself or do everything by yourself, so um, I think it, it saves a lot of a lot of time. You should not do if you get starting getting frustrated. You should do have it's a bit kind of I don't know what to say, but having fun and uh, you should every day love what you do, even solving problems. So um, and start to be put this naive. So it, it helps a lot to be naive. It sounds mm -hmm. a bit strange, I would say, but 
don't knowing about license business is probably better than knowing the license business. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I mean, if I would be no now, what I, what this how complex it is, I don't know whether I, I would do it. Mm -hmm. So um, and this this helps and protect you a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think kind of, of course fundamentals on on, on finance. I would uh, as everybody was saying that you need to be looking that we we always have the right um, financing thing and stuff. But I, what I learned from my uh, other finding was that also in, when you do some kind of complex things like we did with with hardware, where you have easily also patent and you have uh, and you have you no know, the kind of legal things at some point in time. You should if you do a product, please focus first on product. Mm -hmm. Do a great great product, otherwise it will not work. But also don't forget about the kind of uh, legal things, contracts, this kind. Of, so we we spend at the beginning. A lot into lawyers and having this yeah. everything right, which is now very very helpful today. Um, so this kind of perhaps new one, but you should not focus on legal thing. If you do a product, please focus on right. on the uh, passionate about your product, product and first. everything. Yeah. Right. Well, I do want to ask you a little segue, a little side question to that because I think it's it's interesting, especially for a guy like me. I'm I'm a few years younger than you, but right on right on your heels. Do you think you could have built this business? In your twenties, like you like you've been able to do starting in your forties. But it's it's really my personal 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 opinion. Mm -hmm. I could not build this at the twenties, and I could not do it by my by alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is another another big recommendation. If you have a chance uh, to do business, do it with um, a trusted friend or partner, mm -hmm. uh, because you could. It's it's for the good and bad times. You could you could share you you, you together solve problems, um, and then if you have the Again, here age, Patrick brings a lot of other elements mm -hmm. to the table and I did. Doing this in combination is, I think, 100% great. But you could also share the, um, the good times, if anything. Mm -hmm. you could, it's not only that you, uh, you're you working 10 hours plus a day together the whole week and uh, you, of course, have problems, you have issues, you have challenges, la, la, la. But it's also good to have somebody to share really the good times with you. So that, um, and, and, and clearly, no, I would not have, I, I, I was not, I was not. Uh, smart enough, I was not capable enough to do this in the twenties to do right. such a product. Right. I mean, some it helps also that we are uh, in this in our case a dead. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, you knew the problem that you were tackling. Yeah, it, yeah. it comes from a problem uh, yeah. what we had with our with our own kids and uh, and uh, mm -hmm. and you know what stories and this kind of imaginational things does with kids and this kind of thing. So it's not only from technical, from knowledge, from network, mm -hmm. but also from passion and, and, and so clearly no. So feel the pain of the problem that you're solving and have a, like Patrick, have a yin to your yang, it sounds like. <laughs> cool. Um, last two quick questions. Uh, I always ask them, no one ever likes them, but you're getting them anyways. So um, is there a book on your bedside table, something you are reading right now that you'd recommend? Doesn't have to be business. Can be kids' books. Whatever you want. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm currently and as, as, as probably I'm very much into art currently. So I'm mm. uh, in, in really um, contemporary or post-war art. So I'm, I'm reading currently books about some artists. It's, it, man, it's a very zero. It's a very very specific Düsseldorf-based. Mm. Uh, it's uh, about Otto Pina, Heinz Marx. So it's probably not so much interest for your audience, but. It's more, I'm, I'm reading um, in my free time, uh, no business books at the moment, mm -hmm. so more on, on really kind of hobbies, which is uh, particular art and uh, classical music, opera. So it's, by the way, also in contradiction with Patrick, is coming from punk, mm -hmm. Sex Pistols and this kind of things, mm -hmm. like coming from classical music, which is also a good, uh, a good nice. combination. So this one, probably. Yeah. Cool. 
And uh, that's a good segue. What's uh, what's cycling on your playlist? Any music? Any podcasts? Anything you you like uh, to listen to? The podcast very much. Um, I say German podcast currently. Mm-hmm. Fast and Curious. This is from uh, Verena and Leo uh, Kramer currently. Mm-hmm. OMR Hotel Matze. And then there is on art, uh, Jan König from Berlin, He's, he has this um, gallery in the König Gallery, he's doing a podcast. Yeah, many podcasts, I would say. Uh, playlist, well, it's, well, it's a, always a difficult one, obviously a lot of classical and opera music, but um, I recently <laughs> I heard this, uh, this anniversary album of Düsseldorf, Toto Hosen, I bought and put uh-huh. on my playlist. It's normally not my favorite, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I'm hearing this uh, currently, so <laughs> no recommendation. <laughs> if you need to say my recommendation on classical music, we need to have another talk. <laughs> it might go on for a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw one more in there, just out of my own curiosity. Do you have a, a favorite Tony's figurine? Is there a favorite character out of the 600? <laughs> this is, um, yeah, I'm... I'm there's not, of course, this single one, it can't be the single one, but there are a few we are quite proud of is that we have also this, uh, uh, done the classical series, which is um, very, very difficult to get here on the roadmap mm-hmm. because um, having a, we have done a Beethoven Tony and mm-hmm. we have done on Magic Flute, this kind of things. Mm-hmm. I'm very much, I have this, um, one of my favorite is uh, this, this um, Poisler, it's, it's very German um, because of my childhood, mm-hmm. Jungle Book. Because this was the book my my mom read always to me, so emotional. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, a Tony series, which is very even more detailed. But if you are if you like German kids songs, you need to buy Unter meinem Bett, which is from Hamburg, um, produced by Markus Langer. He's uh, with us uh, today. It's a kind of really new, great kids songs with great text and great music. And and, and you, we all, our whole family. So my my son, my daughter, my wife, and I are listening. Uh, it's meanwhile the seventh uh, that we have um, well, five Tonys, so it's a long time from this series, but they are really great. So it's awesome. a recommendation. So um, yeah, and, and this month we're coming up with uh, Michel from Lönneberger. So it's I don't you don't you don't know no, 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 some no, this no. Uh, favorite Astrid Lindgren, the Swedish type base of things. So it's, um, uh, so you know, see, so, I'm talking. We have now more than six hundred. So. Mm-hmm. There are a few which I like. Is this eventually going to be like a Pokemon or, or Star Wars, where there are going to be rare ones that the collectors are going to be chasing down? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think many. You have a. Uh, you see what you see currently with Tonys, and what you don't see will probably come. So there's an easy answer to that, and uh, and also from the collectability, it's funny that we have uh, uh, not many, but but many just buying the figurine and not only the system because the figurine is so nicely made so there's a, even a lot of Tonys where uh, we are the only one creating figurine mm-hmm. um, and you, so somebody recollecting just only the nice figurines so oh, that's good yeah Marcus man thank you for the incredible conversation thanks for having me in your lovely new offices can't wait to see the trajectory for you guys ahead and I'm going to go scream to all my American friends that are parents that they need to they need to jump on the Tony's bandwagon like all my parent friends here in Germany but it was an absolute pleasure great great having you here yes. thanks thanks Ed. well folks that was Marcus Stahl co-founder and co-CEO of Tony's Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks' time. And remember, if you liked it, please help us beat the algorithm and leave a like, 
comment, or five-star review on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast streaming service. And if you didn't, just skip that part. Desnakes to small, 